Evil to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I'd been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. 911, I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Wazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Lebel, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. I'm grateful. Oh yeah, able. Oh yeah, I'm stable. Oh yeah, no label. Oh yeah, what is no going man. on? Welcome. Hockey to hell and back. Episode number 77. Of course, I'm Brady Lebel coming at you guys live from Muskoka, Ontario. It's good to be here. We're down to once a week. Used to be twice a week. I know some people are asking me, why not twice a week anymore? I'll tell you why. My ass is working full time. and I got so much on the go. But I just want to remind everybody that this really is the thing that keeps me going. This was what got me my start when I decided to try to take my life back. And you guys have been so kind and gracious and supportive. I know I say it all the time, but there are no words. There seriously are no words. And I'm just one of many people who have 
you know, taking the steps to get their life back. We're going to be talking a lot about that during this episode, which I'm excited about. I don't have a long intro. I don't have a ton to say off the hop tonight. I really just want to get into this conversation because I think it's it's going to be a good one. I know it's going to be a good one. Um, as I said, I'm in Ontario. A lot of you guys know I'm originally from BC. I just want to send my love uh, to all my family and friends and everybody in the province of British Columbia right now because, wow, um, they're in a, a state of emergency there. I've never seen anything like it. I lived there for 30 years, never saw anything like it. And uh, by all accounts, I don't think anybody that's alive has seen anything like it. So I just hope that everybody's safe and everybody can get their houses and, and everything back in order as, as quickly as possible. And uh, shout out to Stuart Smith. I know he's assistant fire chief out there. He uh, He's doing his best to help out in Abbotsford. Uh, he sent me a picture from the command post. So uh, we have some great people that are trying to, to get the city back together down there, but it's uh, it's pretty scary. And I'm only in Ontario. I don't even have to see it firsthand. So just thinking of everybody uh, out there in BC, we're going to do one sponsor and we'll be right back with Justin Bryan. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leopold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. Teamissued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Thank you to Regan Bartel, Jesse Paradise, everyone at Team Issued. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring Justin in right away uh, because you guys know that uh, every episode I always dedicate uh, an episode to somebody who's lost their life in the hockey community to mental health-related issues, addiction issues. To me, they're really all one in the same. Um, uh, and I wanted to once again dedicate uh, this episode to one of my friends, uh, one of Justin's friends. So before we go any further, let's bring bring Justin in. Justin, welcome to the show, man. How's it going, buddy? That's good. That's I'm doing well, man. It's really good to be uh, be on face to face with you and be on the show and talk about you know what's a big thing in life right now. It's it's mental health and addiction. No kidding. And I think I think it's. I think it's a good point now, but I think it's always been a, a huge part and it's finally uh, getting some much uh, needed attention. But as I'm sure we'll get into, uh, there's a long ways to go. But guys like yourself and, and myself are trying to do our our small part to make a difference. And I just appreciate uh, you sharing your story previous to this. And before we get into it, I just thank you for being here and uh, just kudos to you for for you know taking that step and, and getting your life back. And before we get into that, I just want to just mention off the hop that this this episode is going to be dedicated to uh, Mitch Fadden. You guys have heard me talk a lot about him, um, and actually, I maybe I'll let Justin tell the story about the first time that that we ever chatted, ever. Period. Um, and I'm not sure we didn't talk about this prior, but I'm sure you remember that phone call because uh, you're the one who broke the news to me. Yeah, um, you know, I had the privilege of knowing Mitch. Uh, I probably met him about 12 years ago and we became pretty good friends, like best friends right off the hop. I met him and I met his brother and he introduced me to his amazing family. Um, I was just actually a best man at his brother's wedding. And, you know, Mitch was that guy that he was always there for me when I was down in my, my darkest slumps. 
he would be one of the only guys to not give up on me. You know, he'd be, he'd text me, how you doing? How you doing? And I wouldn't answer. And finally, he knew what to say. He's like, fine, we're not friends then. And then, you know what? Boom. I would answer the phone. I would text them back. Uh, he was the first person to ever wish me a happy Father's Day. Wow. Unfortunately, I had to get that phone call one day. You know, it's a phone call that I've, I've had a couple times and it's one too many. But, you know, I was, I was introduced to your podcast and who you were by a buddy of mine who was also a fellow hockey player. And I heard you talk about Mitch. And, and then it sounded like you didn't know what happened. So I messaged you. I'm like, hey, uh, I heard you know Mitch. And you're like, yeah, can you get me in touch with him? I'm like, well, you know, can, I, can I call you? Because I didn't want to tell you over, the, over messaging. So we hopped on a phone call and I, I let you know because unfortunately he passed about a year or two previous to you even knowing. And mm-hmm. uh, that kind of brought us together and, you know, we've stayed in touch ever since. We kind of, we got the same kind of, you know, life goals kind of track. Absolutely. Let and people know. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I just, I, I'll never forget that day. I still remember exactly where I was. And obviously uh, I was very disconnected from Mitch and, um, just to touch on, in case people are watching and don't know, I'll just quickly touch. Mitch and I played against each other, minor hockey, played against each other in junior, and then we ended up uh, playing together uh, briefly uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning prospects camp, some exhibition, uh, and then lived together in Norfolk uh, for like a month and a half or, or two months and became very close. And um, him and I got into some some stuff, and I've shared those stories, and, and we we're kind of both on that path of kind of living on the edge of being a hockey player, but partying maybe a little bit too much. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I talked to him maybe, I guess, I guess I would say six months prior to, to the day of his death. And, and, you know, we had connected I wasn't doing well at the time. It was, you know, 2017 and uh, you know, we had connected briefly and then uh, all the years passed and I was, completely mangled. I was in and out of jail after that. And so I wasn't talking to anybody. And, you know, I shared this story in the Sportsnet article and, and uh, Mitch, of course, was the other guy that I didn't really talk, say the name. And after that article came out, I really wanted to talk to him. And so I was kind of asking people because I, I, you know, I didn't even really Google like, hey, where's Mitch? I knew he wasn't playing hockey. So it wasn't like I was going to look where he was working. I wasn't expecting that. And it was just such a shock, um, even though it was a year, two years after he had passed, that was kind of the final kick in the stomach for me that realized that, hey, like this, something needs to be done like more like in the hockey community and, and outside the hockey community, but primarily that was my thinking. And so that really brought us together. And as hard as it was to hear and still is to hear, um, you know, I'm really grateful that, you know, you picked up the phone and you were able to call me and we were able to have that conversation. So thank you. Um, and just, you know, just, yeah, wow. I just still at a loss for words as I'm sure you are as well. Um, terribly sad story and there's way too many of them. Um, you and I are both very lucky, I think to not be one of them. And I would love uh, for you to kind of touch, um, as much or as little on your story from, from wherever you'd like to start to kind of share, um, with the people watching, listening, uh, who Justin Brian was who he is today and, and kind of wherever you want to go with it, buddy. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, uh, I grew up playing hockey, but unfortunately, like a lot of your guests who are actually, who are pretty good at hockey, you know, I only made three rep teams growing up and I actually only played on played much on my last year, which was, um, 
my midget, my second year midget rep, uh, the first year midget and the second year PB rep team, I, I didn't play as much. I wasn't very good, you know, and it, it, it dug a little bit out of me. I remember I got cut second year Bantam rep and I had to watch, uh, I had to watch my friends, all my best friends come to school with their jerseys on. And, you know, that crushed me that year. And, you know, I actually, I didn't let that go until about a couple of years ago. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I held that and I had to, you know, go back to my rehab days of, you know, acceptance and forgiveness. And I realized that, you know, I never, I might've got cut, but I never did anything about it. But I had very low self-confidence and self-worth from a kid. I always compared myself growing up. I wanted to be bigger. I wanted to be stronger. I wanted to be faster. I wanted to be funnier because I didn't like me. Now, that transpired into my adult life because I didn't really drink in high school. I did not do drugs. barely drank. But when I was 19, I moved away. Uh, I was going to quit hockey, but I got signed to play junior B team. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I don't want to go to the real world yet. I'll go play junior <laughs> hockey. Right? Yeah. So as soon as I got there, you know I I was on a pretty bad team. We were losing a lot, but you know, we we're having fun with the boys. And that's when I really started to drink. And when I started to drink, I quickly became an addict. I became an alcoholic really quickly because it gave me that false confidence. Yeah. It made me, you know, it made me somebody else that, okay, I could be this guy. I don't like this guy, but then I can create another person. So I ended up playing three years of junior B hockey um, and just becoming an alcoholic really quick. So I ended up getting throughout those three years, I ended up getting my first year. Uh, I asked for a trade, got traded, and then I quit. Uh, went back a second year, I got knocked out because of concussions. Yeah. And then I went back a third year to a different league, went and played on the island and didn't tell anybody about my concussions and then suffered another one. Yeah. I spent the night in the hospital. That year I was actually playing with uh, Jamie Ben. Yeah. Uh, Peninsula Panthers. Yeah, the Peninsula Panthers, man. That guy is an incredible athlete. Right. He was even better at baseball, I think. I, I've heard that, you know. Uh, super nice, super nice kid too, but went and yeah. played there. But that that year, you know, I was I was becoming a mess. I wasn't a, I was an awful billet. You know, and I, I actually remember calling not too long ago, calling the owners apologizing. For who I was, I, I got in touch with my um, Billet family and I apologized. I'm like, you know, I wasn't a bad guy, like on purpose, but I was a mess, right? I just, I wanted to drink and I didn't know why. Yeah. But I would do anything to get the alcohol and I was hurting people along the way. Great. Just to cut in for a sec, I really want to just let you talk, man. And, and please, as we go on, don't feel like I need to say anything. I get enough time to chat here and, and all that. I, I really want to listen. But kudos to you. I, I just want to highlight the fact that you, you know, you called and, and regardless of, you know, it wasn't like you were even being a bad guy, but just our, when, when we live that lifestyle, we really, even from the early stages, at least in my experience, we leave a trail of destruction. We hurt people along the way and it progressively gets worse. Um, even though back then it maybe wasn't like a major thing, it still affected their household. And I really commend you for acknowledging that and making that phone call. I think everyone listening, watching can really learn something from that. And that's something that's been a big part uh, of my like last couple, two, three months is really trying to make amends with people. And I'll tell you, there's it, it's it's great for other people, but it's also great for us um, to be able to be willing to make those amends and make those phone calls. So good for you, man. And I think that just encourages me even more that I need to be doing more of that. So thank you. And I just, yeah, I just appreciate that. Keep, please keep going, man. Sorry to cut you off. No, that's okay. You cut in whenever you need to, buddy. 
yeah. So after my my last year of hockey, instead of moving back home, I moved to Vancouver, and I've never been here before. And I moved to Surrey. I'm 21 years old. I'm living with a buddy, and you know we're all we're doing is drinking beer all the time. And uh, all of a sudden, I get a job bartending downtown. I so I start bartending downtown Vancouver. I moved downtown Vancouver. Uh, and I'm I'm closing the bar by two p.m. or two a.m. and I'm out every single night. I am out and I'm trying to make uh, power hour. I'm getting as drunk as I can and I'm going home. You know, by the time I'm 24, I'm do I'm drinking every day, and then I was always ag- against drugs, against myself doing drugs. I never judged yeah. anybody else. I mean, I, tr- I tried marijuana when I was 21. I smoked it every now and then, but at 24 years old, I did cocaine for the first time. And so I was drinking for confidence. Then I did cocaine for the first time. And a buddy looked at me. And I didn't remember because I blacked out. And he looked at me and he said something that, that you know, was the worst thing you could possibly say to a person like me. He said, man, you were funny last night. For a guy like me, I'm like, oh, I was funny? Oh, I got alcohol now. And now I got cocaine as well. So I, I tell people, you know what? I graduated from alcohol to cocaine use at 24 years old. Yeah. And I kind of went started going on a tear to where at one point um, one of the bartenders he he looked at me he's like man do you think you drink too much because I could close that bar within 15 minutes and be out everybody else took half an hour 45 minutes so the managers would ask them why why can he get out so fast well Justin's an alcoholic and I'm, I'm chasing every day I'm waiting till 2:15 so I could 2:15 a.m. I'm waiting for so I can go out and drink again yeah. and he said that to me. And I was like, oh, whatever. I brushed it off. And on my way home, I'm crossing the Canby Street Bridge. And I end up looking up. And I start to ask myself, you know, Justin, do you drink too much? I'm like, nah. And I ask myself, Justin, do you think you're an alcoholic? And the, and the, word, the exact words I say, uh, at 24 years old, I am too smart to be an alcoholic. And alcoholics are low lives. I go to, I go to work. I pay my bills. Mm-hmm. There's no way I'm an alcoholic. Now, six months later, I moved back home. I'm managing a nightclub. And, you know, I still am low self-worth, low self-confidence, and I'm driving with a buddy, and he's giving me a ride home because, you know, I lost my license. I had to do a drinking and driving course. You know, I was starting to fall into shambles, and we had the topic of depression came up. And that's when I looked at him straight in the face. And I, I remember walking across Kemi Street Bridge thinking I was an alcoholic. And when I, where I exactly I was driving. When I looked at him and said, you know what, depression, depression is an excuse. It's for the weak. You got to man up. You got to go to work. You got to pay your bills. Now, at 24 years old, my two biggest problems, alcohol or addiction, mind you, and mental health. Yeah. What did I do at 24 years old? I pushed them off like they were nothing. Now, from 24 to 28 until I finally asked for help, I moved around. I became a gypsy. I was losing jobs. I was losing friends. You know, I was using, you know, right now I'm, I'm about, I'm 6'3", about 230. I was probably about 175, just getting super skinny, going from house to house, losing job to job. And I, people Justin, are- Justin, just quickly, how old are you now for, for people watching and listening? I'm 36 now. 36. Okay. Okay. Just to, just to see where we're at today. We're, we're getting kind of old, right? Like I'm not that much younger. I'm a little, just a little bit younger than you, but I feel like we're, I don't know. I think I, in when I think about our age, when I was like 18, I thought we were old, but now like that we're this age, I'm like, man, it's not really that old. And I feel like it took me till at least 30 
to really start figuring out. But please keep going on um, with your story because you have me captivated. I, I'm loving this, and I think people are, are loving this as well for sure, man. Well, you know what? I ended up uh, moving to Edmonton, and then I came home. I was 20 years old. I finally moved back home in with my mom, and I started to get help. So 28 years old, I started to finally get help. Now, I like to tell people what when I look back, because I go to schools and I speak on mental health and addiction, and one of my things that I'd like to talk about is my three A's. That's admit the problem, accept it internally, and then ask for help. So yeah. I admitted that I was an alcoholic. Finally, it took me a long time. I was an alcoholic, and then I, or I was an addict, and that uh, I was depressed. But then I had to accept it internally. That is what I actually thought I did, but I did not accept it. So, ah, yes. I, I know those ones, brother. I know those ones. So I, I asked for help. You know, I got the help. Uh, but every time I felt better, stopped going to counseling, stopped taking my meds. And then I'm like, oh, you know what? I see that guy drinking. Well, I can have one. One turned into two, two turned into three, three turned into me blacking out again by the time I'm, let's say, 33. Because I'm, I'm in and out of trying to get help. My son is three. Um, I'm trying to get this help. I start to become my girlfriend at the time, his mom, because I ended up going to rehab when right before he was born, I get out sober two, three months, pink cloud hits. I start using, she leaves me at six months. Yeah. I know those ones too. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I started going back downhill again. That's when I started to become suicidal. So for six straight years, I became suicidal. To the point where one time I, I woke up, there was blood in my bed. Um, there was blood on me, and I'm checking my forehead. And now I look at my, all of a sudden I look, and it, it's my wrist. My wrist is cut. Now, I, I don't even remember doing that. I count my blessings that I'm, I'm actually still here. Yeah. And that scared me, but did it make me stop drinking? No. Did it make me smart enough? Well, maybe a little bit. But then I was getting so bad that I finally... You know, my girlfriend, my ex dropped my son off and he wants to play with his dad. Now, I could sometimes see him for four hours at a time. But at this point, I think I could see him for the full day. And what does a three-year-old want to do? He wants to play with dad. Now, I was really, I had a really bad day. You know, I was confused. I was angry. I was upset. I was lost. I was mad. I didn't know what to do. You know what? I can't play with this three-year-old. Three -year and that's all he wants to do. So, you know, I grabbed him up. I took him to the store. I got him a bag of candy and a bag of chips. You know, we got home. I put him in front of that TV, gave him that bag of candy and that bag of chips. I turned that TV on so I could distract him. And I walked behind him and I stared at the back of his head. When I was staring at his head, I started to cry. And I started to ask myself, Matt, are you going to make it? Are you going to make it to see him score his first goal in hockey? Are you going to teach him how to ride a bike, see him graduate, or be there to see him get married? And the answer was no. Like, I remember telling my doctor, like, listen, Matt, I don't want to die, but I'm not going to make it going like this. And the final tipping point was I ended up in the hospital for the second time with alcohol poisoning in three weeks. Now I'm hooked up to IVs. Um, I'm pasty. I'm puking. I can't keep water down. Um, my ex brings my son and he walks in and I'll never forget his look on his face. He looks at me, looks at her, looks at me, looks at her again, says, mommy, what's wrong with daddy? Right then and there, I'm like, oh, <laughs> this kid deserves better than me. He deserves a dad that is going to be there, that's going to help him grow, who's going to be a man, who's, who's going to pick him up when he falls. I'm looking at my kid to pick me up right now. And, you know, I'm like, my family, they'll understand. My ex, she's smart, she's beautiful, she'll get a good man for him. And, you know what, my son, he, he won't remember me. So yeah. I should just do it. All right. 
And, you know, I, I was very lucky because I was listening to motivational speaking. I was trying to get into the gym and I was listening to guys like Trent Shelton, Eric Johnson, or Eric Thomas, Inky Johnson, and Les Brown. I had no idea who they were, but I do know who they are now. Of so course. They, they all started talking about the power of why. Now I started asking myself, man, what is my why? I started to look at that little boy. And, you know, and I was like, well, what if I get better for him? Because I knew I was a good guy. You know, like I know I can make an impact. So if I get better for him, I get better for me. If I get better for me, I can help other people. So with that, I went back to rehab for the second time and uh, did all the work I could. Did everything. Got out of rehab. And this is 2018, uh, probably November, October. Doing really good. But then the thoughts come back. Holy cow. I have to live sober. I have to learn everything how to do everything sober. Like I like to tell people the hardest part of addiction isn't quitting, but it's living in sobriety. Yeah. I used addiction from like 19 to 34 to have conversations, to leave my house, to talk to a girl, to play hockey. I used it for everything. You know, it became my best friend. And then finally I almost snapped. So I gave my son to my mom listen, you need to take them. I went to the store. I grabbed some drinks. I started drinking again. And, you know, I, I quit. I didn't know. I, I phoned my work. I quit my job. And uh, all of a sudden, one day, I'm like, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I, I get my mom. I'm like, you need to take me to the hospital. So on January 4th, 2019, um, I got my mom to take me to the hospital. Uh, I had my dad to my left, my mom in front, and the counselor to the right of me. And I finally said, hey, I got a plan. And that plan was to end it. You know, it's I couldn't, I remember one day I was, I was so bad that I had my son. I'm happy. Then I had to drop him off. So I, I get sad. Now when I'm driving him home, you know, I remember looking at houses and I'm like, well, these guys probably have problems yet. They have houses. They have families. Like I'm living in my mom's basement suite. I drop my son off. I get to the gym. I get suicidal. I start writing a letter in my head. I get home, get ready to do it. Uh, I put on the movie, the secret. I become happy. I hear a noise outside. I become angry. I went from sad to depressed to suicidal to happy to angry in a matter of four hours. And I couldn't keep those emotions in check. So I was I was this close to giving up. But, you know, I put myself in that hospital in January 4, 2019. And that's the day that, you know, I started this journey. I turned my pain into a purpose and I turned my history into healing and became the life coach and speaker and mental health advocate. Wow. It's not too often that, you know, I, I have had tears in my eyes in this podcast. It's not often that it legit hits me like that. That was, um, first off, thank you, man, for sharing in, in such such great detail. Like the, the details that you shared in are details that most people would hold back. The details about your son getting the candy. I did. I did the same kind of stuff at different times. And that's why I was crying and sitting there thinking about my kids and all of that. And just having like, you know, living through that and just, you know, sitting here having the conversation with you, hearing you share your story just so openly, so candidly. And that to me is what it's all about. And that to me is where real progress is made is when we're willing. It doesn't have to always be down to the nitty gritty detail, but it really comes down to like getting honest. And it's, yes, we have to get honest with ourselves, but we really do have to get honest with others and own the things that we've done and, and learn and try to learn from them. Right. Like I just, thank you, man. That was incredible. 
Well, thanks. You know what? I've learned that the power, one of my healing techniques was listening to other people struggle and what they did to overcome. And, you know, what? ever since that, you know, I'm back together with the mother of my child. Uh, three years later, I got to see him score his first goal. I had yeah, his, buddy. I have his first puck. I catch the coach him in hockey, baseball, and soccer, and we actually have another baby girl. Wow! Let's see, it's it's an amazing story, and I, you know, it's it's so there's so much hope in that story, and I think you know what I hear there is like there's a lot of pain and a lot of suffering before that breakthrough. And that's something that's very similar in my story, um, in the story and in a lot of other people's stories. But I always hear when I, even if I ever, I don't often do it, but even if I listen to like myself speak, but more importantly, when I listen to other people speak, it's like, you really just have to face it and, and get, I said it earlier, but like get honest around around it. And I mean, I flip flopped around every which way and tried to make every excuse and this and thought, Oh, this time I'm really giving it my all and everything else. And like, I I've said this too, and I'm sure, you know, I don't live the, your version of a recovery versus mine right now may be different. Um, I, in fact, I know it is. However, I think it's also important to highlight that regardless of uh, somebody being homeless or in jail or somebody being uh, a semi-functioning addict, when I listen to those stories is what I was trying to say about listening to my stories and then listen to yours, bring it back. I'm too many concussions. When I hear that is like one person's story, whether they're here or they're doing this is not really greater or worse or whatever than somebody else's story. Like when, when I hear you talk, when I hear in those details, like there's so much pain and there's so much suffering in that. And it's so important for people to hear that. Like, you know, when I mentioned you, or I hear you mention about like, you know, you're justifying with yourself about saying, Hey, you know, I got a job, I got this, I'm not that bad and everything else. But the reality is, is just because you have a job, just because you might be paying your bills and have everything else, have money in the bank, whatever. Like if, you know, you were rushing to get out of that bar while everybody else was still closing because you had somewhere to go. It was a rush. That was the only reason you were getting out of there quicker. If you weren't an addict, you probably would have st stayed there and hung out with your coworkers for a few more minutes and enjoyed your time, right? Like, it's just, there's so much there, man. Like, I, I want to hear, I want to hear a little bit more about like the, the coming to fruition about, Okay, like how how did this all come? Because I want to I want you to tell people where you're at today. Kind of, I know you touched on it lightly about what you're doing with speaking to schools and life coach, but I want to hear in as you know faster as quickly as you want to tell us, or faster as slow, whatever, however much detail, how that came about, and what was the first step that you took after you know getting clean, and and how long did it take before your mind started to clear, where it was like, hey, maybe I'm at a point now where I can try something else because I've hit a point and now I maybe have a little more trust in myself and everything else because I was always scared um, early to try anything because it was like, oh, no, people are looking at me. They're they're waiting for me to fail. So I don't want to try anything because I'm going to fail and then it's going to be a, a letdown. But what was the, the breaking point for you, man? And what was the ultimate decision to become like a life coach, motivational speaker? Oh, well, you know, it, it happened quick and it happened probably too quick. Uh, but first of all, more people want to see you win than want to see you fail. I can tell you yeah, that right now. Because yeah. When I got when I spoke in front of World Suicide Prevention Day 
and I took my mask off. I got a standing ovation. Then I put it on Facebook, and the outgoing support was phenomenal. People want to see you win. People want to see you succeed. And the people that don't want to see you or people that are waiting to see you fail, uh, they're, they're failures in their own life. They're failures in their personality. You know, that's that's a them problem. I love it. I love I love the way that you just just hammered that back down my throat like that. I, I it's such a great point, man. Like it it is. But that's you know, when I hear you talk and then I'm like, when I just said that, but that's the reality of my thinking, and I think a lot of it, and you touched on it earlier about self-doubt, self-worth, and it's mm. constant, right? So, but tell tell us a, a little bit about what was the the breaking point and and was there uh i'm really curious to know if there was like a were you hesitant or did you just go all in because you mentioned it happening quick much with the stuff i'm doing happened probably way too quick but it was the greatest gift of all right so really would love to hear it yeah well you know what i when i got out of the hospital that day i'm like i have to do this like i i committed to gratitude to journaling to my medication, to my counseling appointments, to listening to podcasts. You know, I'm like, I have to get better. But then I'm like, I had to take it one day at a time. I had to start giving myself some grace. Yeah. Um, but I know a lot of, so I'm from Sound Arm, small town. I know a lot of people. And I knew a, a youth counselor. And she asked me, she's like, do you want to come talk to a, a school? I'm like, Sh-. I'm like, I'm only two months out of rehab. Like, or like I was even shorter than that, I think. Yeah, maybe two months out of or two months out of the hospital, maybe. And I th- yeah, I think I was three weeks. Sorry, three two months out of rehab. I was three weeks sober. Okay. So yeah, so I went and I, I went and spoke, and you know what? When I looked at everybody, and you know, it was it was a school for troubled teens, and I looked at them, and the way they looked back at me was just like, holy cow! Like these guys feel me. Yeah, these guys know what I'm talking about, and to see them all engage, like some of them just like sitting back, mouth open, just and then the questions. I'm like, I kind of like this, so that I'm like, well, I should do this more. And then I started to partner up with Canadian Mental Health, no Interior Health, and I went and started going to schools with another counselor. We'd play this, we'd play this Jeopardy game on addiction. Um, So they would. They would pick, they'd have two teams in the class and then they would pick a question, they'd answer it. And unfortunately, every single answer, I can correlate a moment of my life into that answer. So I would, they would answer the question, they'd get the points and then I would, you know, give them examples or explain what I went through. And then it just, it turned into, I started going more and speaking and um, I was going to, uh, since I was laid off on um, medically, I, I could go back to school. And, you know, I wanted to be a speaker, but they wouldn't pay for me to be a speaker because I proved that I could go somewhere and uh, I didn't need the school. So they paid. I'm like, okay, well, why don't I be a life coach? So I took that course and then I came up with my 12 week uh, Stronger You project program. Um, that's where you work with me one on one for 12 weeks. We go over lots of things, finding your why. It's, it's life setting, not goal setting. I mean, there's goals in it, but we're setting you up for life. You're looking at self limiting beliefs, purpose and passion, finding your why, your non negotiables, you know, fear, stress, and anxiety, all those things. But you're with me 12 weeks one on one. I'm going to come up with a 10 week, um, you know, just a men's program. Like, let's get some guys together in a group. So it's an accountability group, and I'm going to have a six-week mindset reset one. But I I got into that. And so in six, with six months being out of uh, the hospital, I got back together with my family. 
Um, I went and started working at a bar because that's what I was good at. My whole life, I've been a bartender. You know, I was really good at it. And and all my my partner, she was hesitant. But I'm like, I have to do this. And when you have your mind set on something, I'm like, this way I can go to school, I can pay my family's bills, and I can get myself out of that isolation and talk to people. But I went too quick. Like, I was six months out. I'm working. I'm speaking. I'm volunteering. I'm schooling. And... uh, barely had time for family and you know what i started doing that and it's about two two and a half years later uh i've been to and i've probably spoken in front of seven eight hundred people been on a bunch of podcasts created all these programs and uh i've been pretty successful but then i kind of started to lose touch with myself kind of started to lose touch with uh my why because you know my why in the beginning was my son you know, that's my why to get better. You know what? A lot of people are going to tell you, they're, you have to do it for yourself. You have to do it for yourself. Well, you know what? That It's it's better if you can. But listen, I couldn't. So I defined that why. And I know a lot of addicts that couldn't do it for themselves. So mm-hmm. I defined that why. But now my why, which I just had to get back in touch with, is to motivate, inspire, encourage everybody else to live their best lives and realize that drugs and alcohol, they do not love you. Uh, amen. And, uh, amen. Wow. Ain't that's ain't that the truth? And that's that's it's so false, right? Because the initial feeling, and I I I always talk about this because it's important to highlight that initially there is some sort of reward for your brain and it feels feels good initially. But for some of us, for quite a few people, it becomes a major problem and it takes and it takes. And it takes until it possibly really can't take any more till you're left in a situation, either like yourself, myself, um, or even worse, like Mitch Fadden, you know, mm-hmm. like and it's these are like we're not bad people. Addicts typically aren't bad people. People struggling with mental health usually are misunderstood because they're having trouble understanding themselves. So how are we supposed to possibly understand someone that's really battling? And I think there just has not been enough. Um, to support people um, and also to support people's families who may be going through, you know, some of these issues, maybe indirectly, not themselves, but watching a a kid, um, a son, a daughter, or whatever, a loved one going through it. Um, And then also transitioning out of something like rehab, uh, because I think, you know, I I don't know what it's like for you, but I know the the six or seven different times I walked out of rehab, just not even detox, but rehab, all charged, juiced up, ready to go. I'm going to take on the world. It's like, well, the parents, they kind of feel like that too, but it's like, there's so much more to it than just going to say, uh, uh, even like a eight week program, because it's always going to be there. And in the aftercare plan and just kind of getting around, like educating people, um, what are your thoughts uh, on making the biggest difference? Uh, where where do we start? Because I really think it's it's with the kids and, and the work like you're doing, man. Is I just commend you for it. It's awesome. Where do I start when I start talking to kids, or where did I when I no like where where them? where do we start? Like where's where's where are our efforts best best spent if we're going to really make a change here? In your oh. opinion. Well, I, you know, I, I know, I don't know much about it, but I know a lot of people are pushing for legalization. Yeah. Right. For, for a little bit of controls. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know much of that. I talk, 
you know, I talk about my addiction, you know, struggles with addiction, but I talk more about the mental health side. Yeah. Um, but like, like let's, for example, today I, uh, I went and spoke at, uh, for, to grade sevens, you know, and I, I told them my story. It was very raw, very real, right. To the, it was inner city kids, like with some, maybe uh, some bad backgrounds. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they were engaged and, you know, it's, it's bringing, you know, they're, they're old enough to know they, they see right. others, they have cell phones, they, <laughs> The stuff oh, they God. probably see on their cell phone versus what I'm telling them, but having people come in and it's lived experience, man. Yeah, I agree 100%. I've, I, it, there's nothing in it's again, your opinion, my opinion, other people can disagree, but that to me, man, there's nothing like it. There's just nothing like lived experience. It's, you know, think about it. You're not going to go to typically, we're not going to go. Uh, we'll use a hockey analogy. We're not going to typically go learn from somebody who's just studying hockey out of a book, right? We're going to go to somebody who's played their blood, sweat, and tears. They put in the man hours, the and like their effort. And not to say that everybody can't, somebody that does that can't do that because I think there's a lot of great coaches. But I'm saying typically speaking, where are we getting the best? It's people who have lived experience because it's not just about knowledge it's about the experience of mm-hmm. you got to go here move away do this that and like you can you can touch on all of that so I, I agree man i just don't think lived experience in the in the in these in a lot of fields but in this field i don't think it gets quite enough recognition i think everyone's still looking to doctors and professionals and it's like maybe sometimes professionals in in addiction and mental health can be people with that lived experience. And I really think working together with those professionals, that's, that's the ticket, right? Yeah. And you know what? I actually had uh, a couple of the counselors tell me, listen, like so they're good at the trauma, right? They talk yeah. about the trauma, but it's good for those kids to see what can happen from somebody who's been through it. And they're like, it's good to have lived experience with, yes. um, with yeah. the science and the, the knowledge background of it too. When you put them both together, Right. It's, it's better than just having one or just having another. However, you know, there's some some people that can be triggered by somebody's backstory. Yes. Right. Exactly. So it's it, it, it can be kind of a tricky subject like the You got to know your audience. You can say. Like I probably could say more at that school I was at today than I could at maybe another school. Yeah, no, I, I hear you for sure. And I think that's important. That's something that I don't really do enough on this uh, show is is trigger. Uh, trigger warnings uh, or anything but I think people know that when they're listening to this show that you're going to get it real and you're going to get it raw it's never to to trigger anybody it's more it's more to to just educate inspire people to maybe stop and think before they make that choice um, because you know like much like yourself it took me a while like I was like you like drugs no like absolutely not right um I wasn't 24 I was as you know younger than you were but 24 like that's you know by 24 you're pretty you know you're still young you don't really know much about yourself but to wait until you're 24 it's it's kind of like something that most people would do at 18 and look what that one choice took you even down a darker road and it just you pushed all your mental health to the to the back really self-medicating with drugs and alcohol right yeah and you know what that's uh everything stems from my mental health but when i when i talk to those kids and in my like let's say signature speech i i kind of almost end it with 
it's kind of like a wrap up with uh, there's one commonality in everything that I did. And that's a choice. Everything in life is a choice and you will have to make a lot of choices. Now yeah. it reminds me of a quote that um, life is the C between B and D and in that between birth and death that you have a choice. Now I did not choose to be an addict. I did not choose to be depressed. However, I chose to make my addiction worse by continuing to use by um, not getting help or quitting the help that I got. I decided I chose to make my depression worse by, you know, stop getting help, stop taking my medications, uh, everything. However, you know, when it comes to addiction and choices, it becomes extremely hard for some people to make that choice to not use because using like I got to the point where you know, I knew it was hurting people. I knew it was hurting myself, but to get out of my head by just having some drinks and to not feel suicidal and feel better about myself, all I had to do was have some drinks. You know, yeah. it's, it's a pretty easy choice sometimes. Yeah. But I, I let those kids know that life is a choice. They have a choice. When they go to that party, they can choose to drink. Then they go to that party. They can choose to, you know, take that drug and they're going to be faced with a lot of choices growing up. And it's it's so important to talk about this anybody watching listening like if you think your kids or anybody like this couldn't happen to you or someone you love like it's it's the, it's a harsh reality is that it's everybody is potentially one choice away from either uh, becoming addicted or not um, and we also too uh, when we're in those situations as much as it feels um powerless i know i did like man like i was a slave to my drug like slave like it ran every second of my day there was no nothing else no stopping me from getting it it was it, it's just not a it's just like the worst possible way to live ever period and you know we even during that still have the choice to say, Hey, I need help. Like I know full well that I had the power at any given moment to say, Hey, I need help. And you know, whether I could get it that second or not, I know that my dad was always a, a phone call away if I really needed help, but that, that addict in my brain would just keep saying, no, tomorrow we'll deal with it tomorrow, whatever, not today, whatever. Case on Mondays. Then it's like, <laughs> shit. Tomorrow, yesterday was like 2011. It's now 2018. And wow, that was a long one day that I put off. And holy cow, did a lot happen. It's like, but that is, that's the power of addiction. So like, what do you say to people out there that may be struggling um, with, with an addiction right now, whether it be drugs, alcohol, sex, money, women, whatever, that, that are sitting there right now that are maybe going, hey, I think I might have an issue, but... Nah, not me. Not me. Admit the problem. Accept it internally. And then ask for help. You have to admit the problem first. Um, you know what my problem was is that I didn't, I thought I was invincible. You know, I was young. I never listened to anybody. I thought I was invincible. I thought I was smarter than everybody. And look where that got me. Yeah. If you, most people are very self-aware. The problem is, is when they're self-aware is asking themselves the tough questions. Now, after you ask yourself the tough questions, what's even harder than that? Implic implication. 
Impl- implement, <laughs> sorry, implementation. I know what you meant, man. I know exactly what you meant. I just started laughing because it's so true. Like, holy shit, is that true? Yeah, you have to admit it to yourself. It's implementation. Now, there's stages. You got to ask yourself, is this, okay, is this um, getting in the way of relationships? Is this getting in the way of my work? Is this making me isolate? Am I doing it too often? Am Is this thing that I'm doing causing any interference in my life? Now, if it is, you can read up about it. You can ask a friend about it. You can make one phone call about it. You can make an appointment about it. There's little things. Just do one step at a time. Like now, if you are, if you're struggling, it's okay to just make, do one step at a time. If you think you have a problem with something, look it up, you know, and if, if you need a substance to function, then you definitely have a problem. If you need it to feel good about yourself, if you need it to unwind, maybe at the end of the day, if you have to have that drink, some, you know what? Some people, though, they can have that one drink and they'll be fine. But if you find yourself having more than one and find yourself having it too often, more people are self-aware. I think more people know. I knew. I knew at 24 I was an alcoholic. I didn't want to answer it because then I had to do something about it. That's the problem. It was because once you answer that question, you have to do something about it. And if you don't do something about it, then the guilt and the shame start to, start to creep in. And what's the difference between guilt and shame? Guilt is you did something bad. Shame is you are bad. Now, once you start labeling yourself as I am bad, you, your, your feelings start to go down. You know what you're doing is wrong. Then your internal dialogue kicks in and you start belittling yourself. And it just, it's a, it's a roller coaster down. And so, it can, it can all unravel like very quickly going back to choices where all of a sudden you're, you think you got it. You got this thing. I'm a functioning addict. It's not going to get me. I got it. And then all of a sudden something happens, whether it could be anything, um, you just make wrong place, wrong time, whatever you pick up a charge or a DUI or you lose your job, your wife leaves you, your husband leaves you, whatever the case is, like it, it does eventually get you like it, it does. And I think more than anything, we're both here to say that there is there is such a better life. Um, how are you doing these days uh, with managing everything? Um, and do you do you still have urges at all, um, cravings? And if so, how do you manage those? Well, yeah, I can still. Uh, I still serve part time, um, and you know, I play hockey. So you see alcohol everywhere. It's on TV. It's on commercials. But man, like, I just was talking about this to my girlfriend the other day is, you know, I have using dreams yeah. and those are the worst dreams, right? Cause no doubt. I, I'm getting actually pretty good at waking myself up or realizing that it's a dream within a dream. Like, but it's, it's the worst feeling. Right? No you're, shit. You're yeah, chasing man. a high in your dream and you're like, Oh, I just ruined three years. Yeah, man. It's happened to me. It's the worst. I, I get them less and less, but I think when I'm more stressed out. So like, Right now, I actually took a step back from coach or from coaching online, okay. online because right now I am I'm calling you. I'm online from the Ronald McDonald House right now. Um, we are staying here because my daughter, who was born with Down syndrome, was born with complications. We've known this since May, and she had to get surgery and um, on her intestine, and now she's still in there. Uh, she's on a breathing apparatus, and she has a feeding tube, and she has a hole in her heart, so she's going to need surgery again. And, you know, it was tough. You know, there's lost a couple friends since I've been in here. And you know what? It's 
it's it's it's been tough and you know what i'm gonna talk to a counselor um just just because i don't want it to get to where i was before right i i still know how to cope but i'm like you know what just an extra outside hand will be good absolutely um, because you know what i've learned life throws you curveballs man like we got we haven't seen our daughter in you know six days because we both got all three of us got sick and you can't go to the nicu um we had uh being sick right because there's sick babies in there and if they get sick it's, it's really hard on them right so we haven't seen our daughter in you know five six days and it got so bad and my girlfriend's actually she's an asthmatic uh i had to take her to emergency on sunday night <laughs> And she had to get a puffer, right? So I had a prescription. So I drive, we drive to Shoppers Drug Mart. It's nine o'clock or eight o'clock at night. Uh, it's pouring rain. Um, I pull in right behind a car that's parked on the side of the road, like right up behind him. My son's like, I, oh, daddy, I got to puke. So, you know, we get out really quick. All he had to do was burp and he felt better. <laughs> so we go in, we get our prescription. We're in there about 20, 25 minutes. We come out. I see our car getting towed. I'm like, no so, oh my God, like we just came from Merge, just filled up a prescription. I start chasing the vehicle and <sighs> he sees me, I, I stop and then he pulls over. I'm like, oh, cow. Okay, sweet. Right? Because he lifted it up, he saw me and then he drove away. Now he pulled over and I'm like, he's like, you can come get your vehicle here. Now Renee's, she's, she hasn't seen her daughter in four or five days. She's crying, tail or getting poor on. Tails like, Daddy, do we have to walk back to the Ronald McDonald house? We're like on 18th and can be. It's on like 33rd. <laughs> so we're 15 blocks away. And I'm like, listen, man, we just came from Emerge. And could you do us a favor? Like, I already called it in. I don't want to be a liar. I'm like, well, it's my fault. But I think the guy felt bad. So he pulled over. He dropped it. He wasn't, he was not impressed that he was doing this wow that's wild that they do that especially in vancouver because they do not do that down there man no like but the thing is i saw him leave like i, I came out when he was doing it but he put it down uh we still got the 125 dollars parking ticket because i was in a bus stop apparently <laughs> so i'm at the very end of the bus stop it's my and i'm telling you it's my fault i'm like Honestly, man, then don't drop it. I don't want you to get in trouble. Don't drop it. So he dropped it. I uh, paid him the $50 other fine or something. And it's, that was, it was, you know what, man, it's just been, it's been getting hit, but trying to keep your chin up because you know what? I'm in a good place. They're taking very good care of us. And you know what? Life happens. Life, life will throw you curveballs. You're not getting picked on. It's just life. Good thing happened to good people. Sometimes you got to take one on the chin and I just got to be grateful that I'm in a good place. I have a roof over my head. I got food on the table. I'm not using, I'm with my family and that, you know, life comes and goes. Wow. And you're, uh, you're an absolute warrior. There's no doubt about it. And there's, uh, <sighs> what, uh, like what, what's the status of your daughter, like moving forward, if you don't mind sharing with us and if there's anything, do you, is there anything we can do to help, um, collectively, um, to help you guys, uh, moving forward? Um, what's the progno prognosis there? Well, we just got to meet with cardiology. The thing is, is she needs to get her breathing up a bit. So we need to be able to go home with her being off oxygen for at least four hours a day. So two hours, twice a day. Um, but right now she's only at a half an hour, twice a day because we 
she does need heart surgery and you know what we'll have to come back if that might be the plan they want to do it on a bigger baby which is very understandable right they want it to be safe they want to do it on a bigger baby so we meet cardiology tomorrow and hopefully they're, they're moving her down to another pod and we're going to get a little more answers kind of a timeline and then we'll be going back with an oxygen machine a feeding tube and you know it's uh we'll end up coming back here and we just got to see if it's going to be sooner rather than later but you know what i've had a lot of a lot of people reach out a lot of people offer help it's uh with what's going on in this world right now you know i i'm starting to lose faith kind of in humanity not lose faith but kind of like distance myself and you know a lot of people have reached out and it's like holy like people i barely know and like you know i've we've got to be able to go to some canuck games while we're here and i got to see mcdavid play he didn't get a goal i would have actually you know what i went and saw uh dallas play vancouver so i got to see jamie play i haven't talked to him since i played with him yeah you got a breakaway jamie if you ever see this you didn't score whatever (laughs) i was cheering i was the only one basically in that stands i think cheering for you but but uh you know we've had some opportunities you know i have the opportunity while i'm here to go speak at a school then after that i go out with heroes hockey um teaching hockey to underprivileged kids as well and i get to put take my kid out there for a skate <laughs> six grade six seven year olds or grade six sevens and they're like oh your kid's only five he's better than us <laughs> but you know, he's he's been this is his second year but yeah. then I also get to go out with uh, Stick It to Violence in New Westminster. Yeah. to get kids off the street as well. Yeah. So you know I'm what? I'm very familiar with 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 them. Very yeah. fun. Good for you, man. It's uh, what is it? What has that done for you? Like when you? Because for me, when I'm giving back, being of service, it is for me the best, the best feeling, um, and probably the thing that gets me out of my head the most. Um, what is being of service meant to you? Um, and is this something that has been a transition later on in life? Um, is it something that you recognized early on, but got away from, because that's what I did. I always kind of knew it, but I just didn't know how. And I was so in so much suffering and, and all of that, but finally being in a place to give back. Um, what does that mean to you and how does it feel for you? Well, you know what? I've always been the guy that gave back, always been the guy to try to listen, to help out. But now I actually get to give back in a healthy way. Yeah. Right. You know, I always wanted to, to help people, but how, who can I really help when I'm an, an addict? Right. Like, so now it, it's nice because I get to give back in a healthy way. I get to be that role model because you know what? There's some, there's going to be kids in life that when they go to a sport, that is their outlet. Yeah. When they come to school, that is their outlet. They could have a parent who's abusive at home. Um, their home life could be awful. They could be bullied. But when they come to see you and you're their coach or they come to see that teacher, um, that could be their only outlet. And you you could be their only mentor. And so when I go there, it's I put a big smile on my face because it's fun. Yeah. You know what? It's giving back feels good. You know, I think it's Denzel Washington. He calls it the selfish unselfish. Yeah. Like giving back is makes you feel good. It's the selfish part of it, but it's unselfish as well. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So it's nice to be able to do it in a healthy way. Um, it, those kids are so funny. Yeah, it's trying to see them skate. Some of them they can't stop and they keep falling down, but they keep getting. You know what? The best thing is they keep falling. They keep getting back up. It's a great, it's a great, just to watch that is such a great lesson, isn't it? 
Mm-hmm. And when you think of the bigger picture, when you just see somebody, they're just, they're, they're, they're literally uh, just watch somebody trying to skate for the first time. Sometimes it's so hard for them to just stand there. Their feet are just sliding out from under them, treading just ice, whatever. And, but they're, they're trying so hard. And, you know, when you want it, when you want something like that and not just skating, it's, it's just a really good analogy. If you're, you know, in a recovery journey of any kind, mental health addiction, it, it is keep going like keep fighting for for your yourself for your life um because there's i don't know there was like this period of time in my life justin that like all of a sudden like waking up in the morning just stopped being fun like i remember like vividly as a kid like you hear the birds chirping and it's like yeah i'm gone like i want to go i want to take this day on um, and then somewhere along the lines, 17, 18, it's like that just all kind of like dwindled away. And I, instead of looking to the things that I used my whole life, it was like, I was looking for an easier way out. And that's when the drugs and alcohol, of course, um, came into play. Uh, my question, uh, another question I have for you that I wanted to ask earlier is like when you, you know, started doing, um, say Coke cocaine for the first time uh was it in a group setting um and like when you reflect back on that um those people that maybe you were doing it with a lot like did a lot of those people um fall into like a deep pit of addiction uh or were you able to see some people that you know maybe were just able to do it here and there uh, the reason why i asked justin is because i think it's another important thing for people to to realize especially kids when you know, we might have a group of four or five friends and you might try something for the first time and, you know, four out of the five might just never, never do it again or do it here or there. But there's the one friend that just can't shut it off. Right. And yeah. Right. And, and so like, it's, it's just so important. And I just wonder what, what your kind of analysis of it was when you see reflecting back, what was it kind of like, where were you kind of the one, or do you see other people that went down that path as well? Well, you know what? I was the black sheep. I was the black sheep of my friends. Most of my, most of my friends, 90 something percent of them could probably turn it off or they would, they'd be functional where I would be like, okay, I have alcohol, keep going. Um, I tried it in a group setting, but then, you know what I was, I was doing it by myself from, from 24 years old. I would party by myself in my house. That's what I loved, man. I loved being alone. Um, and that's what I, that, that's the biggest thing I should have realized. Well, I, I was lonely, but I like, loved being alone. Now, over my lifetime, I've I've uh, I've known eight people that have ha- are gone, uh, leaving kids behind, uh, fentanyl, some overdosing, and you know, I, just recently my cousin passed away this summer, you know, from fentanyl, and he was in and out, and he battled, and you know, addiction it takes from people, it steals from you, man, and. Um, it's when I went to rehab, that was the most normal I've ever felt. Uh, not guys that I would probably usually hang out with outside or that I would have thought of calling up, but when I was there, man, and you know, now, like when you're in rehab, those guys are like you, we're messed up, <laughs> we use, we, we all probably have depression, there's something going on with us, um, but you, you don't feel like the black sheep. 
That's right. It was the most normal I ever felt. Well, now I, I feel normal now, but it was most normal I ever felt back then was in rehab because I was basically kind of the only one of my friends that would keep the party going, I guess. I had, I know the feeling and, you know, I've had that feeling uh, in rehab, but I also had that feeling when I was homeless on Hastings of feeling like, hey, this is, I'm good here because, you know, nobody else is like, everyone's doing the same thing. And it became a false sense of uh, reality that way too, because it was like, this is, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, this is where you belong. These are your people. This is, you know, and real realistically, that's where people go to die. And, um, it's just, it, it's so crazy, man, the, the power of uh, mental illness uh, and addiction. And I think it all stems back to really taking care of uh, our minds. And uh, before we go, I'm going to have to get you on again because I could keep talking to you. And um, I, I want to kind of wrap up in the next 15, 20 minutes, maybe if we can. Who knows, though? Uh, but you're a welcome guest on the show anytime. The only reason is, is I'm like exhausted. It's like 10 o'clock here. And um, for the first time in my life, I've held a job i think for like almost two months which is incredible <laughs> and going every day and not even minding like waking up like and i was talking to the my the guy i'm working for i'm like you know this is the first time that i've ever really been able to like commit to a job and show up and have no issues showing up and it's like i was like thinking i'm like why is that and it's like oh yeah oh yeah i'm not not doing drugs all day at work and trying to run away and, and just escape from everything and, and hating. It was like hating my life so much that it was like, didn't matter what I was doing. Um, even when I was coaching hockey, it was like, still, it was like, I was just wasn't able to even do it. Even coaching hockey was like, oh, I don't want to go or not show up. It's just so, and people think that when you're in that state, it's like, what's wrong with that person? Like idiot ungrateful asshole like what what's wrong with this person and you know we don't really have to look too far to to often see that most people in that situation are not bad people they're just going through something um that you know people are not really given the time to understand but at the same time and you can agree or disagree it does lie on that individual to say hey like this is what's going on um because otherwise it leaves it all this speculation and if you know, the life of an addict track record's not good. I don't know about you, but mine was terrible. Yeah. I'll be there in five minutes and I show up never or whatever. Like your word is just no good when you're living that life. Right. Well, I want to touch on that. Uh, that you say saying things. I was not a lot of people know this, but I was this close to moving there. That big day by day, it, that life looked good to me. Yeah because then I wasn't going to be around the people that I was hurting. I That's could, right. I was this close to packing up my stuff, getting a suitcase and moving down there because I bartended here. I, and I was in seven at the time, but I knew where it was like, I could get drugs and go live by myself. I could go live in a box, be alone. Like that yeah. was starting to become a dream of mine. Not a lot. I've never really told that to anybody. Um, but it was it was it was a reality. I was very close to doing that. I can I can see that one hundred percent. And uh, you know, I, I've met a lot of people down there. Like as you know, it's riddled with uh, mm -hmm. people with addiction, like thousands of people, and uh, lost a lot of people that I've met too, as you can imagine. But it's you hear the stories, man. There's people from all over the world down there. 
all over the world. They come to Vancouver to travel to go to hostels, and then they end up down there, and they're they're down there for two, three years, never seen their family. They die down there, never see their family again. They're just going on vacation because that that's the reality of that that area. And for you to be bartending down there and and, and all of that, because there's also I don't nobody's ever been down there listening or watching but there's a lot of uh in and around that area there's other bars too that are kind of shady and open at weird hours so a lot of people get sucked into those bars and that's how it starts um and it doesn't take much because that feeling of just wanting to be able to just escape and not have to worry about hurting like you said hurting your loved ones or letting people down or whatever and just kind of having you know peace uh with your addiction i know uh for you for me for a lot of people it's just easier that way right Mm -hmm. so much easier that way um at least it seems that way right you know i never if someone was to look at me and said justin you're going to be depressed justin you're going to be an addict justin you're going to be suicidal i would have looked at them and i would have laughed right i was a i was a smart kid i was on the honor roll i didn't drink really until after high school until 19 and it went quickly downhill for me i went i went by um my partner's family came down and we went to for dinner and we drove by East Hastings and I just, I wanted to stop the vehicle and just get out and just give people hugs. Like, yeah. I, I just want to go down there. I want to talk to them, but if it's having a baby in the NICU, it's I probably shouldn't, but I just want to go talk to people. Like, you know, in the summer, I'm, I was working out at the gym and I'm on Facebook and I see this person say, watch out at the at the canoe park. There's a homeless person there. She's user. Oh, she's leaving all this, the youth leaving all this stuff. And I'm like, can someone, like, I can't believe they're treating this person like this. They're belittling her on, like, she doesn't see it, but it's on Facebook. So I'm like, okay, I, I, I get mad. So I stop my workout. I go down there and I just go talk to her. Just as a human being, I treated her like a human being. Went yeah. got her some food, and we just sat there. And I'm like, "So why are you why are you in Salmon Arm?" She's like, "Well, you know, Vernon, which is about 45 minutes away, it's it's getting to be kind of a more of a using town in some areas. It's very easy to get there." She was saying, "She's like, I just wanted to get away from that." And like this, this guy, he yells at me, "You need any help?" I'm like, "No," and I yelled it back. She just wants someone to talk to, and he kind of he took the post down and everything, but. You know, from people that I knew in Sound Army, got her a place to stay, got her, you know, some clothes and stuff. And I, unfortunately, I think she kind of went back. Yeah. But all they, all those people want, all we want, or all I want to do is be understood and talk to you. They want to be like, just like you. They want to be seen, they want to be heard, and they want to be valued. Right. And I just wanted to, you know, when I drove past the East things, I just, I just became quiet. I just wanted to get out and just tell people, hey, yeah. I see you. I want to give you a hug. I hear you on that, man. My heart is like been twisting uh, around the downtown east side about like something like I got to get down there myself. And there's maybe there's work for us to be to do down there, man. And, you know, we can't. The reality is, is there's a lot of people down there that that I think don't even think that they can be helped uh, when they're down there. But if you can get down there at any given time and just give somebody a chance just give them a chance, you know, like that's all some, some people need is just a chance. You have no idea what some of those people have gone through and they've never been given a chance. I'm so grateful. I've been given millions of chances. Some of people out there have never been given a chance. Can't write their name. Can't read. Can't, they never had 
the chance to play hockey or anything. And sometimes they just need a chance. So why are we not all willing to give people just a chance? And and kudos to you again, man, for for doing that, taking the time uh, to go talk to that person, that that lady, uh, whoever it was, because you're so right uh, in that sometimes it's just being heard um, because it's a very lonely spot to be in as as you know, as I know. And um, I, I find that on both sides, being the person to talk to somebody and also being in that position where I've had people when I was homeless come down, talk, give sandwiches out, all stuff. And which was always stuff that I really appreciated was people coming down. Like there was times when I swear, like angels would appear when I'd been up for like three weeks straight, man, like so dehydrated, strung right out, like close to death and like all of a sudden like this you know the angel pops out with like two bottles of gatorade and a sandwich and like if i don't get that in my body like i am like shutting down for sure like and there's just man i don't know there's just something about that area that tells me that i need to get back down there because there's people that need a chance is what i'm trying to say um and and you know i would i would encourage you you know if you have a feeling to to do something don't bite off more than you can chew sounds like you got enough on the go um but i think you have so much value to bring to this world justin and you already are doing it and um i think the sky's the limit but it's it's you know it's your authenticity your realness you're willing to share that really makes makes you come through and i just i commend you for that i appreciate that before i let you go before we wrap this up i want to get to a couple comments because they've been coming in uh, Dean Smeal uh, out there in St. Paul, Alberta says, wow, man, your story sounds so similar. Glad to see you're doing better. What's up, Dino? I'm sure you know that last name. Um, sober athletic wear uh, saying I have been in recovery for seven years, jumping on and off the wagon. I finally entered an outpatient treatment program. And on day 12 of 20, it took me 40 years of drinking to finally make a 100% effort to be sober forever. I identify with Justin's story. Good on you for sharing. Good for uh, you guys. Yeah, very awesome. Uh, Brody Kerbison down there in Barry says, Justin, thank you so much for sharing. That was amazing. And congratulations on everything you've overcome. Thanks, Brody. Uh, Faye Bocek out in Swift Current, Saskatchewan, former Bronco Billet says, wow, good on you. There is always hope. Danny James. Keep it. Danny James Elwin Cassidy, my old personal coach, and I've been talking to him more and more lately and just an awesome guy. He says, good morning, Brady. From the beautiful islands of the Philippines, he's got another comment for you coming. Uh, Dino says to, yep, that's the true one, kids. The kids, I know firsthand, I tell my girls that I am stor- sorry for missing so much in their lives when I was lost. It definitely was nothing to do with them. This show is truly hitting home. Thanks, boys. And, you know, just before we go on to the next comment, you know, that's, you know, true because for me and and I know Dean and I talk about it quite often, um, you know, he's very encouraging with me about uh, my kids because I have a couple kids that I haven't seen in years um, that, that literally um, have made TikTok videos about how bad of a dad I am. Put it that way. I've never shared that publicly. It's something that I saw and it just, it absolutely destroyed my heart. It was like three, four months ago um, since I've now since been blocked. Um, uh, and it's just hard. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I just appreciate you sharing those stories, man, because I just think that there's, there is hope and, you know, we're not perfect. We do make mistakes. Um, David Carlson from St. Albert, I almost said St. Paul again, St. Albert, Alberta. He's always watching my guy says life experience is priceless. 
uh, the Miner family, Michelle, and I'm assuming her lovely husband, Tom Miner, uh, parents of the late Daniel Miner, uh, say, what a great story. Thank you for sharing this to everyone listening. So glad you were able to stick with the recovery process and now wanting to help others to get where you are today. Um, hello, you, Michelle. Yeah, Michelle and Tom. Uh, as always, Daniel's always right behind me, and I just absolutely love you guys. Uh, Matthew Meanser down there in Argentina says, Buenas noches. Uh, and also, thank you, Justin, for sharing your story. Uh, Danny, once again, says, I, I, I definitely identified every fabric of the story. Thank you, Brady and Justin. Uh, a couple more, Thank two you. more. Michelle Miner again says, thinking of you and your family during this difficult time uh, when we were talking about your daughter, that came in. Uh, and Michelle's uh, lovely daughter, Lindsay, also watching, um, says, Justin, Thank you for sharing your story, not only with all of us today, but to those youth who need to hear the truth about mental health and addiction. This allows them to make real world connections and the hope of one day remembering your story and making the right choice. That's awesome, Lindsay. Lindsay Schmidt, Lindsay Minor, but her her married name now, Schmidt. Hello, Lindsay. And um, I really want to get down there and see them. Uh, Tom and Michelle Minor came up uh, and uh, spent a couple days up here in the summer, and I got to meet them. And I was able to make it to their uh, to Daniel's celebration of life and and meet a lot of his friends and family. And as hard as it was, um, it's uh, you know the, I would do anything to bring Daniel back. Uh, but I'm just so grateful for for their support and friendship and treat they're like family and uh i know they're uh just so appreciative of you justin and uh sharing your story it's this is this is the kind of the work that really makes an impact in this world man uh you know there's other ways to do it but i really feel that this is uh you know yes addiction mental health is now more trendy than ever um but this is something that's very close to your heart you've been uh just doing everything that you can to to share your experience and you're definitely making this world a better place whether it be one person at a time one class at a time uh teaching hockey one kid at a time i can just see it in your heart dude that you are uh doing everything for 100 percent uh the right reasons and it just comes through like so uh, just so awesome, man. So I just thank you for the person you are and uh, uh, just your courageous battle through addiction, man, because not everybody makes it out and uh, you were able to to do it and recognize and, and continue to, to grow. So um, thank you. And uh, is there anything else that you want to say? Uh, I'm going to throw up your website again. I'm going to put some links in. Uh, how can people find out more information or if there's anything else uh, the floor is yours with absolutely no rush at all. Fire away um, anything you have. Uh, well, you can find me at my website, www.justinbryan.com. Um, I'm Justin Bryan at justinbryan19 on Instagram. If you want to shoot me an email or anything, have any questions, want to tell me how, you know, it's oh, hey, look at that. Clap oh. on. Clap there we go. Hey, look Clap at that. On. And we're back. Uh, <laughs> let me know a little bit of your story to say what resonated with you. I would love to hear it. Um, if you are struggling, reach out. Take one step. If you don't see light at the end of the tunnel, you know what you do? You keep on walking because it will be there. The sun always raises after it rains. And you know what? You're worth it. Um, be imperfectly perfect. And there you are, somebody, somebody. 
before before you go, can you uh, can you one more time? Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but I was I, there was a time in the podcast where I got up and I went over here while you were yes. saying something really profound. I was looking for an extra mic because I have mics around here. I couldn't find any of them. I wanted to literally just drop it on the table from what you were saying. You shared a quote with us earlier um, using belts letters uh, i would oh. love to hear that one more time because that was <laughs> incredible all right people everything that i did everything that you do all comes down to choices life is all about choices and as the quote says life is the c between b and d and in that between birth and death you have a choice I'm freaking believable. I love that. I'm going to clip that. That's going to be all over Instagram. You better believe it. Um, thank you so much, man. I, I appreciate you. And, um, you know, I really feel like there's just more for us to do together uh, moving forward whenever that time comes. Thinking about you and your your family and your daughter and just sending prayers and love. And if there's anything that, you know, I, I'm not sure that what I can do, but, you know, collectively as a small community, whether it be the puck support community or the podcast community, whatever it is, if there's anything that you think that I can do or that, you know, we can do here, uh, we have some pretty loyal people, some pretty incredible people. Please don't feel free or please don't hesitate to reach out. Please feel free to reach out. Let's try that again. Um, you know what I was trying to say? I, I truly mean that. And honestly, bro, like if you have a hard day or whatever, you call me, you text me. Uh, something that I've noticed since I started doing all this is that at least before I'm, I'm much better at it now is like, okay, I started to share my story and now people were looking at me and it's like, I felt like I had to be this perfect example uh, mm -hmm. for people when in reality, that's not even possible. Um, so I just want to highlight again, your authenticity. I truly appreciate it. These are the podcasts that I love to do. Um, it's not always about, you know, hockey hall of famers or whatever, man. It's about getting down and, and just sharing as humans, our experiences to make this world a better place. And I'm not sure anybody's done it better on this podcast, man. So thank you. I appreciate you. And thank you for having me. Thank you everybody for your comments and allowing me to share my story thank you for giving me your time it, it means the world to me and you know what if you're getting hard on yourself remember you know because i feel the same way I, I felt hey i gotta put on this show but i realized authenticity vulnerability is a sign of true strength give yourself some grace to be a human love it man and shout out to the ronald mcdonald house taking care of all those great families out there in bc i it's something that has been a part of our fabric out there forever. I'm not sure how many there are anywhere else, but I know that the Vancouver Canucks do a ton around there. Mm -hmm. um, and this, the, the entire kind of lower mainland province of British Columbia, it's an absolutely incredible place. And it has changed the lives of so many families and kids. And I'm just so thankful that you're there with your family right now, because there's not a, a place I think that, I would want my kids to be if they were in that situation. So I'm just grateful. Um, and I'm just thinking about all of you guys and sending love and prayers, buddy. Yeah. You know what? I Being here is so humbling because the people that make this place work, the people that donate, the, the staff with the smiles on their faces, sometimes they give me meals. Today they gave us pancakes and bacon. 
And you know what? It's just there's these meals come in and just everybody that makes this place work, they are making such a difference. And I'm so grateful to each and every one of them. That's awesome, man. It's uh it's a it's a gift. It's a it's a tough situation. Um, but seems like you're in the best possible place. So um thank you, man. Um I think we'll have to do this again. And if you ever have anything like coming up or whatever, let me know. Um come on talk about it if you ever have a pressing need to come on here and talk or whatever like honestly man you are a welcome guest on this show you smashed it out i absolutely thoroughly enjoyed this um i usually i always do i i love doing this but there's just something um that comes through for me even like it's like i'm listening to you talk not hosting the show and that's that it's something to be said about that so thank you man you're awesome i appreciate you buddy okay buddy We will talk to you soon. Okay, sounds good. See you, bud. See you later. All right, guys, that's Justin Bryan. That was just an unbelievable episode. I One that I, I'm going to go back and actually listen to it. And that's something I did when I a lot when I first started this podcast, just be, based on pure wanting to, to hear my own voice to get better. Not because I wanted to hear my own voice, but to say, ooh, that was bad or ooh, that... After a while, it just became too much. And it was like, yeah, it's a live show, post it. But there's been a few times uh, where I, you know, recently um, gone back and listened and, and not because of anything I said. And that's going to be uh, the case here tonight. And I just appreciate Justin's authenticity, like I said, and honesty and vulnerability. Uh, vulnerability is, is key uh, to allowing, at least I think, to allowing people to really see, um, you know, breaking down those walls and, and just showing, um, explaining how things were, uh, how they can be. Uh, it's, it's not easy. It's so not easy. Um, but like it is for me, now that I'm on kind of the other side of like facing all of that, it has become easy because yes, these are things that, you know, Justin's done that I've done that others have done that we're not proud of we're not proud of but at the end of the day there are things that we've done and we're now in a position where we can accept it own it and and live with it move on make amends if amends need to be made and that is when being vulnerable becomes easy because already ticking all the boxes doing everything you can right doesn't mean everyone's always going to forgive you or doesn't mean your life's always going to be great but it does get better and uh yeah the vulnerability key key uh in a recovery journey in my opinion so thank you justin last thing um I want to say, and I I wanted to talk to Justin about this. I wanted to get a little more into plant medicines, but uh, we're going to have, I think, Riley Cote back on the show soon. A lot of people are asking me questions about uh, microdosing, um, what I do uh, and, and how that pertains to my addiction, my recovery. Some people have different views on it. Uh, Listen, said this lots. I used to stick myself with a needle 20, 30 times a day. Uh, and I tried everything. Uh, I would, yes, of course, in the back of my mind, uh, like to not be on anything, no pharmaceuticals, no plant medicines, 
no nothing um, but I'm not sure right now that that's possible for me uh, and I've tried almost everything and finally uh, I have found something that's allowed me to sustain um, a livable life I go to work uh, I have a lot of great things I have great relationships and I have no urge to use any drugs at all like outside of plant-based medicines and I just want to highlight too that it's not for everybody uh, I think there's a time and a place uh, for everything um, pharmaceuticals plant medicines whatever however if something's working for you I'm all for it um, just because something works for you or works for me doesn't mean it will work for anybody else and I think it's just really important go back to what Justin was talking about what I was talking about too is just never giving up sometimes it takes time to find the answers that may be right for us depending on what it is and uh, I'm just doing my best to try to educate people in the space I'm not a doctor I really know very little in the grand scheme of things so talk to Riley Riley's gonna come back on the show former NHLer and he is the uh, the plant-based medicines guru in the hockey space. There's not a guy out there that played uh, in the NHL that's doing more in the space uh, surrounding just education and and just giving people that kind of knowledge. Um, so you're going to bring him on. I'm, I'm also uh, talking with a couple of different doctors that do a lot in this space just to educate. Uh, this is not about promoting or about trying to say, hey, do this or do that. It's really just about trying to bring uh, everything to the table to say, hey, if you feel like you're out of options, maybe there's another option. Um, to be very careful with that space, with uh, talking about it. But I'm very open and honest, and I just felt it was important to share that with you guys. You guys may have seen a picture on my Instagram. Today, I have talked quite a bit about it, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about it just to answer some of your questions anyways that's it i need to go to bed i need to work in the morning next podcast for sure next tuesday 9 p.m uh with claire buchanan uh, she is a current member of the canadian women's sled hockey team and uh she does a lot of work uh, in the mental health space as well and uh, giving back in the community. She's just an incredible, incredible woman. She'll be joining the show next Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern. Right here. Same bad time, same bad channel. Stay kind. Be grateful. If you're struggling, like Justin said, don't give up. Never stop fighting. Never, ever stop fighting. Thank you for watching. Please subscribe. Smash that like button. Rate and review if you can. And remember, have a great day if you so choose. Grateful, oh yeah, able, oh yeah, I'm stable, oh yeah, no label, oh yeah, you know me, I have only a path, I'm lonely, but damn, I'm going, I'm going. I don't want no fake love, I want the real stuff, everybody listen up, cause I'll only say it once, I'ma show you all the path, if you
you want it bad I'm gonna show you every side Yeah, how you can get it back Yeah, cause I ain't never done I'll be number one Working hella hard until I get just what I want Yeah, rise just like the sun Yeah, fatal like a gun Shooter's gonna shoot and I'm gonna shoot until I fall I'm always do it alone So I gotta get through it And the only thing I know is to love what I'm doing Never give up, never slow Till I finally prove it Never listen to the nose I just wanna keep moving Yeah, I put out all the art It's my only medicine Yeah, everything I do I'm just being genuine Yeah, I'm sick of being screwed Feel my own adrenaline Yeah, I do just what I do And I hope you let me in Let me in, yeah Thank you.